This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> You're listening <laughs> to Two Nerd Comics. <laughs> Matt and Joe. Joe and Matt. Joe and Matt. There you go. Welcome to episode 60 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, March 28th. And as always, we're reading your tweets while we do it. So don't forget to tweet us on the Twitter at Two Headed Nerd on the Twitter. Just like I said, my name is Matt Baum, and when I'm getting ready to head to Lincoln to see Guar with Municipal Waste for a night of blood, guts, pills, booze, and thrash metal, I am writing about and appraising comics for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online. And when I'm not getting ready to go out to dinner for my future father-in-law's birthday for a sober night of responsible family good times. I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Responsible family good. I can guys. virtually guarantee there will be no semen involved, That's unlike Guar. This week, you'll hear reviews of Avengers vs. X-Men Zero, and number one after what? that, we'll review ten comics so damn fast, you'll have to play the tape at half speed to understand what the hell we're saying in the ludicrous speed round, and then... We'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics. And finally, we'll catch up with two titles we fell behind on in the return of our Catching Up on the Pile segment. But before we get to all the pregnant pauses and uncomfortable silences, let's take a second to pull up the Supreme Court's collective robes to see whose underwear is stuffed full of money before they get to vote on killing affordable health care for everybody. And then... We'll talk about this week's big news. Thanks a lot, Obama. This June, Marvel Comics will release the first issue of a project called Spider-Man by the Ultimate Comics Spider-Man team of Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli. I was hoping for Spider-Mans. Spider-Man. Spider-Mans. The details about the mystery book are scarce, but... A couple of different teasers have been released so far. The first featured a melding of what appeared to be the ultimate Peter Parker and Miles Morales Spider-Man symbols. The second featured two spidery silhouettes swinging in from opposite sides of the image. And just this week, Marvel peeled back the curtain just enough, revealing one of those silhouettes to be the Peter Parker Spider-Man, or at least one version of him. Speculation has run wild ever since the teasers began. Popular theories posit that Spider-Man will focus on either the return of Ultimate Peter Parker, which seems plausible given the creative team, or the first crossover of the Ultimate and mainstream 616 Marvel Universes. For the first several years of the Ultimate Universe's existence, Marvel claimed that it would never cross over with the 616, but after more than a decade of stories, things may have changed. Matt, what do you think? I still don't think it's going to cross over. I think this is the return of Ultimate Peter Parker. I, I kind of, that's what I prefer. I think it's the return of Ultimate Peter Parker, and I highly doubt that they would cross it over with regular Marvel U, because all that would do is piss everybody off. There's nobody out there that wants that. Nobody wants Raise your hand if you want that. Okay, that's nobody here. Insert right. sound of crickets. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants that. It's stupid. This is the return of Ultimate Peter Parker, which will be awesome. Yeah, part of me, though, makes, if that is the case, I, I wish they had delayed it more because Miles Morales feels like he just started out. Well, maybe he's only coming back for a minute. Maybe it's time travel. Maybe it's time travel. Ooh. I will accept it if Miles Morales is going back in time to meet Peter Parker. Could could be. But now it's time for another exciting episode of Comic Book Legal Eagles starring the two-headed nerd talking about things they have almost no idea about. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Warner Brothers has filed a 117-page appeal asking the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to overturn previous rulings in the case between the corporation and the heirs of Superman creators Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster. The DC Comics parent company wants to 
take its chances with a trial by jury over what happens to the rights of the Man of Steel. Warner Brothers claims that a deal had been struck with Siegel and Schuster Estates in 2001 before they were lured away with the promise of more money by evil attorney Mark Toberoff, <laughs> Jew. While the families <laughs> asserted that there was... I can say that. I'm Jewish. While the families asserted that there was no actual contract in place at the time and the district court agreed, Warner Brothers claims that, quote, a meeting of the minds, that's my Warner Brothers impersonation, gotcha. had taken place and the 2001 deal should be honored. All of this is occurring as the actual physical check written to Siegel and Schuster in 1938 to secure ownership of Superman for just 130 bucks is expected to fetch at least five figures at auction. Now, Joe, I forget. Are we on the side of the soulless corporate giant that brings us the mediocre Superman comic we've been reading <laughs> monthly for a while, or the people that are trying to profit from the work of their ancestors who did such 75 years ago? You know that every time you say Joe Schuster's name, you call him Joel? No, I don't. Every time. I have a speech impediment. Every asshole. time. <laughs> I can't believe you just whipped my speech impediment out in front of everybody. <laughs> I have no speech impediment. I speak beautifully. Uh, I don't know anything about legal stuff. I don't know. I think it's interesting, though, that Warner Brothers wants to take their chances with a jury. I Well, I think they or their lawyers know right there they win. There's no way they take that chance otherwise. There's no way that they take a chance of losing Superman yeah. unless they know they win this case. Now, that said, this case is disgusting. Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel got totally screwed. They Don't you mean ab- Joel? You stop it, you. <laughs> they got totally screwed, and no one is debating that. That's absolutely true. There's an excellent book called uh, Men of Tomorrow, written by Gerard Jones, that everyone should read, that tells the entire story, and it's fantastic. Great read. That said... Do their families deserve a bunch of money? I mean, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that. It's a tough question. It's a really um, tough question. I, I, I don't know all of the historical details. I I kind of lean towards the idea that they agreed to that deal back in the day. Right. Again, though, I don't have the details. So Is it a good? Was it a good deal? No. Did they get screwed? <clears throat> Absolutely. Should they have made more money on the Superman movies? Probably. But what do you do now? How do you even decide what is a fair number? Where do you start? Yeah, I mean, if the if the truth is that they did kind of have a handshake agreement ten years ago, and then they decided to take their chances and push their luck, yeah, it's it's a sticky wicket. I'm on neither side. I don't want to see Superman go. I'm on Superman's side. I don't like the way the creators' families were treated. I think this is just a horrible situation. There you go. I hate myself. (laughs) Finally, speaking of hating yourself, and I'm lonely. Rob Liefeld took to Twitter this week with a plea for help from DC fans. Apparently, Deathstroke, Grifter, and the Savage Hawkman, the three books Liefeld is taking over this May, all have one foot in the grave. Liefeld candidly tweeted, quote, No easy way to approach this, but Grifter, Hawkman, and Deathstroke need your help in May. Despite the best efforts of the creative teams, sales have fallen off a cliff for these books. In May, we provide new jumping-on points for all. Retailers, if you're satisfied with the sales on these books, I think we can move additional copies. If you're not satisfied, take a chance. Now, Bleeding Cool reports that the February issues for Hawkman, Deathstroke, and Grifter placed at 103rd, 104th, and 126th in the top 300 list, respectively. The site also notes that the now-canceled Hawk and Dove placed at 136th in February. What this news indicates is that Liefeld has been placed on these titles in an effort to actually increase sales, 
which seems contrary to everything I thought I understood about life. But stranger things have happened, and Liefeld, who is nothing if not an amazing self-promoter, has a history of giving titles a shot in the arm, sales-wise. Meanwhile, poor Captain Adam languishes at 140th place and still manages to escape cancellation for now. Matt, is Liefeld the Moses that will lead these stinker titles to the promised land? If you want to tell me that Liefeld will give these books a spike in the short term, because people on both sides, to be fair, he has fans, people on both sides will want to see what's going on here. Some will want to see just how bad it sucks. Others will want to see how perfectly awesome and Rob Lee Fieldy it is or whatever. The numbers are not there for his books long term. They're just not. They start off big. Yes, there's a spike because it's like this morbid curiosity. We all want to see the car accident, but they go down from there. Hawk but, and Dove plummeted after the first issue. But do they go down to where they were when he started? I'm telling you, DC, in my opinion, and I don't know if this is true, mm. DC is looking for a short term shot in the arm while they desperately look for other creators to take over these books. That might be. Lyfield is not going to be on these books next year. I'm saying it right now. But he will not be on any of these books next year. But my question is, if Hawkman is currently at 103rd on the list, and Liefeld gives it a temporary shot up, when the sales go back down, will they go all the way back down to 103rd? Wouldn't surprise me. Or will they stay at a slightly elevated level? Wouldn't surprise me, but my guess is that's not even the point. The point is to give them a shot in the arm to avoid cancellation while they find new creators. Or limp to an ending. Or limp to an end, yeah. Hmm. Best of luck, Rob. A mose is a mose. A rose is a rose. A toes is a toes. Hoopty doody doodle. Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. A Moses. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where DJ and I are not necessarily hating on Liefeld like all you jerks, but we are really excited to see a noseless, feetless Hawkman with big bullet pouches and rectangular energy cannons that look more like bread boxes. Remember all those dumb guys? (laughs) Before we move on to a very, very special review, let's have a very, very special tweet. Read me a tweet, Joe Patrick. All right. Our our first tweet comes from Ryan is not Batman, who has this to say. Couldn't be less interested in another 12-part multiple limited series with good versus good. Is there really that much interest for this AVX? Ryan is not Batman. Such an angry young man. He is. Let's talk about it right now, because it's time for a very special two-headed review of Marvel's latest huge event, Avengers vs. X-Men. We'll be taking a look at this week's Zero issue and the not-even-for-sale-yet-next-week's number one DJ. Set the stage for us, will you? You may be asking how we were able to read number one in advance. It's a miracle. We can't tell you because we'll get arrested on sight. Baby Jesus miracled it to us. Let's start with (laughs) Avengers vs. Let's start with Avengers vs. X-Men Zero. This is written by Brian Michael Bendis and Jason Aaron, with art by Frank Cho and colors by Jason Keith. Marvel as is typical for them these days, had nothing but a nonsensical bullet points uh, solicitation. <laughs> the worst. So I wrote my own. I'm available. You guys want someone to write solicitations? <laughs> I will do it for free. The Scarlet Witch seeks a return to normalcy after years of manipulation and struggle. And when two old friends try to bring her back to the Avengers fold, Wanda is confronted by the one person most deeply impacted by her loss of control. 
Meanwhile, Hope bristles under the oppressive protection of Cyclops and sneaks away from Utopia to take her frustrations out on a group of deserving supervillains. Not just any supervillains. The Serpent Society. The Serpent Society. <laughs> oh, man, we haven't seen the Serpent Society for a while. I love them. I love them. I do, too. And they got their butts kicked. <laughs> yes, they did. So this issue is a spotlight on the two characters that allegedly play the biggest roles in Avengers vs. X-Men. And so... It, it serves to establish uh, Scarlet Witch's new status quo, because Lord knows Avengers Children's Crusade didn't do it. Uh, not really. <laughs> and it brings Hope to a place where she is ready to face what's coming for her, even when the people that are protecting her are trying to hold her back. Yeah. And uh, so, for me, there was a nice contrast between these two characters. Wanda is, like, at her lowest point. Uh, she's just finally regained control of her life after years of being manipulated and she feels powerless uh, as she's trying to kind of step back into her old role. And Hope, though, on the other hand, is powerless in a different way. She's confident. She's tough. She's trained. She's ready to face her destiny. And she's willing to step up and face what's coming. But her survival is so important to the mutant race that she uh, is under constant guard by Cyclops and the X-Men. So much so that she finds the need to rebel. And seize control of her own life. The lead story by Bendis was my favorite of the two stories. It, it kind of embraced classic Marvel and Avengers concepts in a way that I found really refreshing coming from Bendis. And the confrontation scene at Avengers Mansion was really impactful and it had been a very long time coming. And they did a really good job on it. I did not see it coming. We all knew that Wanda was going to bump into the Vision again. It, it, they have Certainly. To. I'm still not clear on how the Vision came back, but he's back, and we all knew that <laughs> Baby was, Jesus miracled it. <laughs> Baby Jesus miracled the Vision back, which was very sweet of him. I didn't see this coming, and it was really, really well done, and I really... I'm not going to spoil it and let everybody know what happened, but... It's huge, and Iron Man kind of, Tony Stark sort of turns the visions, like, are you sure you want to handle this like this? And yeah. everybody else was like, hey. It's up to him, man. It's his deal, man. Yeah. Because that was Wanda's husband. Yep. She married Synthesoid Dude, and uh, she, she, freaky. she didn't treat him real well, you know? <laughs> I mean, Frank Cho's art is beautiful throughout the book. Jason Keith's colors are a great complement to Cho's style. The visuals are vibrant and exciting, and it really felt like a classic superhero action book. Absolutely. The MODOK battle. The, oh. Just gorgeous. Like, bullet-shaped dinosaur yeah. robots? <laughs> just ridiculous stuff. You, you, we get to see the, the Scarlet Witch in action taking on a group of MODOKs that are attacking a scientist that had defected from AIM and was going to like search for witness protection with the American government. And it's just this big comic scene yeah like it was ridiculous like modok battle between the scarlet witch yeah robot dinosaurs lobster men you know (laughs) like it just insane and it's gorgeous frank cho just nails it as usual there's not a ton to say about the second story i mean it's a good character piece hope uh goes out and kicks a bunch of ass and then cyclops shows up and reprimands her i really liked the second part of the story it was fine because i really enjoy the way that they're writing hope as a teenager who thinks she's the smartest girl in the world, much like the little giggling moron that introduced our show, who is actually grounded right now. (laughs) Hope thinks that she's the smartest one in the room, and she can handle anything that's going to be thrown at her. And she is the savior of the mutant race, as far as Scott is concerned, and he is her protector. I I think they do a good job 
establishing that Hope doesn't quite understand why she can't just run off and right. get in fights. Because and I think if something happens to her, it's bad. They also did a really nice job of setting up two female characters that are at the crux of both teams that are both way too dangerous to be controlled by either side. We'll go into it when we talk about the next issue, but something is coming to Hope that's going to make her just as damn powerful as Wanda. And you've got this really interesting situation they're setting up where Cap is protecting Wanda and Scott is protecting Hope, and they might both be doing it for the wrong reasons. I really like the setup here. And the setup was what I was worried about most. How are you going to convince me that these two teams are going to get in this huge fight? You're, you're because spe- they've been walking on thin ice here and there, but I'm not gonna, I wasn't going to buy it if they were just like, hey, Cyclops, we're tired of you guys you know, handling all the mutant stuff. We want to help. And Cyclops is like, oh, yeah, eat it. <laughs> you're, you're getting a little ahead of yourself here. We're, we're not even to that part yet. Okay. Um, there, I do have one small nitpick. Bendis, it wouldn't be a, an episode of THN without a little Bendis hating. Oh, boy. Uh, he has a habit of writing scenes where long-established characters don't recognize each other. If you look back over his body of work, you'll see what I mean. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Uh, I first noticed it a long time ago. And now it distracts me every time it pops up. Where was it here? In Avengers vs. X-Men, MODOK struggles to recognize the Scarlet Witch. Well, she hasn't been around for a while. He's got a computer brain, Matt! <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, wasn't he just shocked that she was back? Wasn't he just like, I thought no, you were dead? No, no, no. He goes, wait a minute, who are you? Oh, wait, I recognize you. You're the Scarlet Witch, the disgraced Avenger. Uh. And But that scene pops up in a lot of Bendis comics where it's like, two characters that I know have fought back-to-back, side-by-side, are like, what's your name again? look back over it i guarantee you'll find it moving on it's a nitpick <laughs> uh is the book essential to avengers vs. x-men probably not but it was a great read and it had great art so i'm giving it a buy it i'm giving it a buy it too i think this is essential i think this very much sets up the two characters that are going to be at the crux of this and if you just skip it you're going to miss something here. This was good. This was well written. This makes me believe that this conflict is going to happen. You might miss something, but I don't know if you'll be lost. Well, you won't be my, lost. Is no. my point. But I'm also giving a huge buy it. Now, let's talk about Avengers vs. X-Men number one. Number one. Coming number- out next week. We did not buy it, Diamond Comics. We yeah. stole it. <laughs> we did not steal it either, You Diamond have no Comics. rules against stealing it, jerks. <laughs> Uh, this is the collective brain power of the Marvel architects bringing us this story. Brian Michael Bendis, Matt Fraction, Jonathan Hickman, Jason Aaron, and Ed Brubaker. Uh, issue one was scripted by Bendis with pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Laura Martin. Here's your completely homemade synopsis once again. <laughs> it's coming. The major players in the Marvel Universe finally become aware of what we have all known for months. The Phoenix Force is on its way to Earth, and it's coming for Hope, the mutant messiah. When the Avengers go to Utopia to take Hope into protective custody, Cyclops and the X-Men have other ideas, and the shit really hits the fan. <laughs> so the first thing I noticed was the cover by Jim Chung that looks exactly like the loading screen to a Marvel vs. Capcom game. I went game. there, too. And, I, and I, part of me thought, why didn't they just get the dude that paints all the Marvel vs. <laughs> Capcom games? That would have been awesome. Uh, it's, it's very silly, and I'm sure it's no accident. They can even do it in the Street Fighter letters. <laughs> but it really helps set the tone. You kind of let you know what you're in for uh the there is a, the destructive arrival of a battered and bruised member of the nova corps but it's not my nova no it's a nova in 
black armor. Yep. I, I believe that Marvel is shoehorning in the new Nova that they are creating for the Ultimate Spider-Man Well, cartoon. if you want to say that he's a member of the Nova Force who we haven't seen yet, I'm okay with that. Sure. If they do it that way, I'm all right with that. But I'm I don't not... want him to be like, oh, what do you mean? This Nova's always been around. You know, like, no, that's not okay. <laughs> Certainly. But I don't want to read stories about any Nova. I want to read stories about my Nova. I like my Nova, too. That is a separate thing. It has nothing to do with this comic. Moving right along. (laughs) So Nova's arrival clues the Avengers in on the Phoenix's impending arrival, and right off the bat, you can tell that this book is going to have a completely different tone than most books scripted by Bendis and even most Marvel event comics. Uh, There's a lot of character moments and enough plot momentum to form a story, but... This issue really feels like a summer blockbuster it to me. It really did. And it's just quite a change of pace from Marvel's usual metaphor-heavy event books. Certainly quite a change of pace from Fear itself. Oh, boy. I did feel that this issue did a fine job of giving both sides credibility. The Avengers wanted to protect Earth from the Phoenix Force, and the X-Men think Hope has a shot at mastering the Force and resurrecting the mutant race. Or at least Cyclops does. Well, yeah. Uh, and going into the series, I was worried that one side would be the obvious right side, like in Civil War. Right. Who rooted for Tony Stark? Come on. Nobody. But he was right. <clears throat> no. He was right. Reed Richards looked into the future and said, this works. Trust uh, me, guys. No. I did have a couple of nitpicks on this one. Uh, first, there's a scene that plays out in which Hope manifests the Phoenix Force for just a second, much to the surprise and awe of everyone around her. And I feel like... I've seen some variation of that scene play out already in several different books. I haven't. I just, I I feel like I have, or it's been hinted at, or maybe I'm thinking of previews I've seen. Well, she does wear a green outfit, and she has red (laughs) hair. Yes. Uh, I could be wrong, like I said, but I don't know how the fact that she has a connection to the Phoenix Force can still be news to these people. Uh, So that kind of fell flat for me. Second... I am usually the first person to come to John Romita Jr.'s defense when it comes to his art. And I've been saying for years that his constant pairing with the wrong inker is the problem. Now, this issue is inked by Scott Hanna, who inked the majority of his run on Straczynski's Amazing Spider-Man. And that was Romita at the height of his powers. So I was really excited for a return to that. But... While Hannah does make Romita look really great in a lot of scenes, there are a lot of places where the art loses that crispness and clarity. Now, I thought this was much better. It was much better. I thought this was much better. Now, was it a return to form for Junior? No. It was much better, which made the things that didn't look as good stand out more to me. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. But I will say, marked improvement from what we saw from his Avengers run. Absolutely. Overall, though... I am still a John Romita Jr. apologist. I thought the book looked great. And I thought he was a good choice for this first issue. Yeah, and I think they're doing it in like uh, three-issue chunks, so he might do the first three. I think this book is going to be a slam-bang kind of action series, and it's going to be a nice throwback to classic superhero adventure comics. I'm really looking forward to reading the rest of the series. They've hooked me. This is a direct reaction to a lot of the complaints that people had about Fear Itself. Which was, it's too plot-driven, It's there's too much metaphor, there's too many characters we don't know anything about and really don't care about. This strikes me as their answer. Okay, here's your favorite superheroes, and let's go ahead and answer the question, who would win in a fight? Every other issue, let's throw them together, let them bash heads, and let's let them do it for a good plot-driven reason. Yeah, okay. Very I'm glad simple. you brought that up, because I feel like saying 
It's just a, a fight book? It's not just a fight book. My point is, it is a fight book with a really good plot. It makes sense. I, I buy it. Like, I when when Namor was talking to the other X-Men and Captain America was there, and they were like, uh-oh, what's Cap doing here? And Namor is just like, well, if he's here, it's serious. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, uh, I like the tone that they have. Like, when Cap shows up, it's for real serious business. And everybody knew when Cyclops went up to talk to him that he's not going to back down to anybody. Yeah. I think Cyclops has become more interesting in the past couple of years than that character has ever been. And I love the little things they throw in, like Magneto saying, you're kind of starting to sound like me, buddy. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know, like, this is going to be a lot of fun. And I know people are like, I hate events. I'm so tired of event comics. Look, guys, I get it. But you know what? You're lying because event comics sell better than any other comic on the stands. So for everyone that gets on the internet and goes, I'm not buying it. Screw it. This is stupid. Look, this is going to be fun. This is already off to a great start. I'm predicting we have a lot of fun with this. Everybody that you love at Marvel is writing for this. Marvel has not paid us to say anything. I fully walked yeah. into this thinking that it was going to be watered down, and I was ready for another fear itself that falls I mean, flat. If you listen to our past episodes when we talk about how we feel about what's going on in Avengers and things like that at the moment... We were not like we have not been excited about the event. We were, yeah. I was morbidly curious, if anything, and yeah. they won me over with these two issues. I'm excited to read the rest of this series. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a giant shakeup when this is all said and done. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Giving both issues a strong bite. So that is a gigantic, huge, strong buy-it for both Zero and Number One for Avengers vs. X-Men. As always, we want to know what you nerds thought of these comics, so let us know how unprofessional and poorly thought out our reviews were over at our Facebook page. Before it gets weird in here, why don't you read me another tweet, Joe Patrick? This tweet comes from Brian. I'm going to the comic store. What should I get? Only one book, though. You're going to buy one comic book this week. I should say that I got this tweet two hours ago, and he <laughs> replied saying, You guys were no help. I bought Rocketeer Adventures. Great choice, but that came out last week. Let's let's narrow it down to this week. One comic this week. Joe Patrick, go. I think uh, I, I was most pleasantly surprised by... Uh, new Dead Wardians number one. Huh. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. I'm yep. saying if you're picking up one comic this week, why not pick up Avengers vs. X-Men Zero? That's an easy it's answer, It's huge, though. and you get a little taste of everything. Hey, you're picking up one comic. One. If you're looking for something different, give New Dead Wardians a try, though. Now join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be offering the discarded heart of Dick Cheney to the dread Dormammu. He tore the heart out of a 12-year-old virgin this in ex- week and in smashed a- it into his own chest. <laughs> in exchange for the secrets of next week's comics, Matt, what comic has the blood of Cheney chosen for you? Not his blood, it's his cold black dead heart. <laughs> My pick for next week, Supreme number 63 by Alan Moore, with art by the indomitable Eric Larson. This is going to be fun. That's a good pick. I didn't even see it on I the list. I loved the old Supreme that these guys did. I can't wait to read more of it. Alan Moore's bad crazy. I mean, we could, we could end up with lots of Supreme sex scenes. Who knows? <laughs> 
Joe Patrick, what will you be reading next week? Despite the title, I have chosen Fanboys vs. Zombies number one from Boom Studios. I thought you were kidding. The reason I picked it is because it's written by Sam Humphreys. Why do I know that name? He's taking over the Ultimates for Jonathan Hickman. He's good. And he also wrote the John Carter comic we talked about last week. the one we just talked about. He's good. And I am liking what I've read from him so far, and I'm excited to see... Uh, what he might bring to kind of a dark comedy. This is about a zombie outbreak at Comic-Con. Fair enough. Uh, art is by Jerry Gaylord. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. Let's just let that one go. <laughs> of course, we'd like to know what you Gaylords will be reading next week. Be sure to <laughs> drop us a line <laughs> on our Twitter, at Nerd. Again, for DJ and I to put on our white flight suits, red scarves, and space age 70s stylized helmets, leap into our Veritech fighters, and transform into robots that look suspiciously like Jetfire, and blast some Zentrani ass. All while reviewing 10 comics at hypersonic speed during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed! Go! I didn't understand any of that. Robotech, the Robotech Veritech fighter. Mighty Thor number 12. Uh, Art Switch. Communicoli takes over doing a Walt Simonson impression. This is not his best work. They tied it up a little too quickly, but it did have a very happy ending. I'm giving it a buy it. Newton Guardians number one. Coward. Uh, this was a really pleasant surprise for me, as I stated earlier. This is a kind of, it's a murder mystery in which nobody dies. Because they're already dead. Yes, they're vampires. It's very British. It's a zombie book for people who don't like zombies. I really liked it. I'm giving it a buy it. Dan Abnett, solo. Uncanny X-Force 23. This is a fantastic ending to a story that probably lasted two issues too long. Uh, I like Greg Tokini's art, and I'm going to defend him here, but it did get totally insane. Now, keep in mind, they're in a world of magic, and it was supposed to look wacky. There's something really big happens in this issue. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Atomic Robo, Real Science Adventures, number one! I wasn't going to talk about the new Atomic Robo. No, you won't. I forced him into it. We always talk about how awesome Atomic Robo is, but this is the first issue of what I think is an ongoing anthology. It is. Of, um... Robo through the through the years and supporting characters. Uh, it's all written by Brian Clevenger, various artists, a lot of fun stuff in this book. Dr. Dinosaur is all up in it. I love it. it it's really good. I'm giving it a strong buy it. Aquaman number seven. This is the first appearance of the others, sort of. Aquaman is on the case of who sank Atlantis, and it looks like it's going to be really weird. Uh, the art was just amazing, as usual. Ivan Rice and Joe Prado, nobody works like those guys. I wish John's Justice League was this damn good. Buy it. Superman, number seven. This is the first issue of Keith Giffen taking over as writer from George Perez. And almost no one cares. <laughs> Dan Jurgens takes over as the breakdown artist, but Jesus Marino still does the finishes. Yeah, I don't know what's going on Which here. means the art still looks like Jesus Marino, but everything's posed like Dan Jurgens drew it in the 90s. <laughs> it's very peculiar, the art-wise. The story was just meh. But it is the return, or no, the insertion of yeah, Hellspawn. Yeah, not the return, buddy. The re- insertion of Hellspawn into the DC Universe. Uh, skim it? Be- because myself and Aura McWilliams demanded it. 
Blood Strike 26. This was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, Tim Seeley surprised me here. There was a pretty cool art by Francesco Gaston. We got to see an interesting psychological look at a character that I never gave a crap about. Uh, I didn't expect this to be much, but it wasn't bad. I'm giving it a skim it. It wasn't as good as the other two. It was definitely... That's why I gave it a skim it. I gave yeah. the other two by it. Astonishing X-Men number 48. Uh, first issue of Marjorie Lou's run as writer, Mike Perkins on art. We have uh, really praised Marjorie Lou in the past. It's true. And just have been waiting for her to write a book that I care about. And here it is. Kind of. <laughs> here it kind of is. Um, I kind of liked it. I did too. There's a lot of relationship stuff. North Star's in it. Love me some North Star. You know, we pegged If you just gave me a North Star soap opera of just like his day, <laughs> like having lunch with his boyfriend and going to the gym and whatever, I'm in. <laughs> uh, Mike Perkins is a great artist who spent way too long languishing on Stephen King books. I'm glad to see him back doing Marvel stuff. I'm languishing. A- you mean making money doing uh, Stephen come King on. I'm giving it a buy it. BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Pickens County Horror, number one. Okay, no punk. Jason Latour is amazing. This dude has this very classic cartooning style that reminds me of Bill Watterson sometimes. I can't say enough about this kid. He made this book so creepy looking. It's BPRD versus Backwoods Vampires, and like I said, creepy as hell. Can't say enough about Jason Latour's art. Buy it. Daredevil, number 10. Uh, this is kind of the conclusion of the Mole Man uh, two-parter, and it's... <sighs> this is my cover of the week, by the way. That oh, yeah. cover was awesome. You're not... I'm kind of siding with the Mole Man a little bit. I know that he's a grave robber. This is what Mark Wade does, buddy. But, like, Mar- uh, Daredevil is not 100% in the right, and it's super compelling and beautiful, beautiful art. I can't give it a, a big enough buy it. If you're not reading Daredevil, then you are a bad person. Shut face, loser nerd. <laughs> Your ludicrous speed round and roar is a sound an underground dwelling monster that looks suspiciously like Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors makes when it's really pissed at old Hornhead, as seen in the pages of Daredevil number 10. Now it's time for us to sort through the various piles of comics laying around the ziggurat, and there are a lot of them. Yeah, they're all and, around us. <laughs> and catch up on Sorry, a, wife. <laughs> and catch up on a couple of series that got away from us. Matt, why don't you go first and tell our loyal listeners what you got caught up on this week. When I first heard about Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth, I did not care at all. I looked at the covers with this little boy with reindeer horns and the art was not very good they're called antlers man they're called antlers correct i this just looked like the weirdest vertigo series in the world and i just didn't care i kind of glanced at it and did not give it a chance and i cannot tell you i'm coming to you right now and i don't do this very often i was wrong he's begging forgiveness i was wrong with a capital w what a monster jeff lemire's sweet tooth is nothing short of of amazing. I sat down and burned through every issue in less than three days because I had to see what was going to happen next. It is bizarre. It is strange. It is completely off the beaten path. The art is definitely an acquired taste. I love Jeff Lemire's art. It is heart-wrenching. It is incredible. It. This is the story of a really strange kind of apocalypse that took place Mm -hmm. where a disease started killing people. A plague swept across the globe. Nobody knows really where it came from. Nobody knows how it works. But if you get it, you are dead. And at the same time that this disease popped up, these children 
were being born. Everybody stopped having babies. And the people that did have babies gave birth to these animal babies. Some of them had bird heads. Some of them had antlers. Some of them were little fuzzy beaver kids. Yeah, dog (laughs) kids. Some were more intelligent than others. Some were more human than animal. Others were more animal than human. This is the story of Gus, a little boy with antlers, who is definitely more human than animal. And he may be part of a much larger prophecy where he is either the savior who will help humanity or perhaps it's Deathbringer <laughs> that will bring about the rise of the animal people who are going to take over where the humans left off. Gus is accompanied by the mysterious Jeopard, and all we really know about Jeopard is he lost his family at some point, and now he's a very, very violent guy. <laughs> <laughs> but his violence always seems to serve a greater purpose. We, when we see him at his scariest is when he's defending this little kid that he initially sold out. I mean, I can't tell you how amazing the relationship that these two characters have and the way it's being developed in this really strange father-son type story. This book, the storyline hit me, and it hit me really fast. Not because it was odd or strange, but because of the way that it was told. And how much you can tell Jeff Lemire has invested in the story. And you can tell from issue one, he has a much bigger world planned out. It wasn't until issue 26, which is the beginning of a story called The Taxidermist, where we see a totally separate character in a story that takes place previously in history going into the North Pole, essentially, to investigate what happened to a party of adventurers that he sent out. This storyline nailed me absolutely nailed me and, it and nailed him hard putting it down i said that might have been one of the it best bent comic, him over one of the best vertigo st- <laughs> come on <laughs> that may have been one of the best vertigo storylines i've ever read and it's moved straight from there seamlessly into the next part of gus and jeopard's adventure together i don't want to go in and spoiling anything but i'm telling you right now go find these back issues they are not expensive go find these trade paperbacks you have to read Sweet Tooth. It's a wonderful book. I can't say enough about it. Joe Patrick, what did you catch up on? I got all caught up on Nightwing. It wasn't as hard as... Uh, <laughs> all seven issues? Listen, <laughs> it wasn't as hard as getting caught up on Sweet Tooth. Hey, I've been reading Sweet Tooth from the beginning. Oh, please. So, up yours. As our loyal listeners will know, we reviewed every single DC number one. Every single damn one of them. When the reboot hit, and Nightwing was one of the ones that we were pretty positive on. And I read the second one and skimmed the third one before. I just got too bogged down. I'm yeah okay. It's not that I wasn't no. It's not that I wasn't enjoying it. It's just that it's a lot. It's hard to stay caught up on as many comics as we both read. And uh, Nightwing was just one of the casualties. And so it's been piling up and piling up. And I've always wanted to go back to it, but I never did. And I finally just pulled the trigger. I grabbed all seven issues that are out to date. This is a great book. I I really enjoy Nightwing. Okay, I'm not going to disagree with you because I'm liking it. But it hadn't grabbed me. Like, it was good. And I was still reading it. And the art is perfect kyle is it kyle higgins oh kyle higgins, kyle is, higgins is the it. writer eddie barrows eddie is barrows is just amazing here absolutely amazing yeah but i felt like the story was wasn't really going anywhere and then something happened in batman uh, that made see, me go 
holy crap, now I have to read it. No, I see, I disagree. <laughs> it wasn't until I read Batman that I realized that the current arc of Nightwing tied together. Right. But and reading, they, were, they were leading to that. But reading it all at once, I started reading it after I read Batman number seven from a couple weeks ago. It was very clear from the very beginning that Kyle Higgins had been planning this all along. Yeah, he's definitely in on the story. And he was sowing the seeds. Now, I don't think it's a spoiler. We won't give away what happens in Batman 7, but I don't think it's a spoiler It ties to say, into the Court of Owls storyline in Batman. It ties into that, and like the story of Nightwing has been... Dick has basically inherited Haley's circus. Right, and right. And he's traveling around with them and sort of reconnecting with the family, his extended family yes, from the circus. Yes, And so reading it, knowing what I know now, I just got a whole... I got a sense of enjoyment on an entirely different level. See, and maybe I need to reread it and at, it'll hit me too. I, as I saw Higgins planting those seeds, I would see elements in the script or in the art where I go, oh... I know what that is. I know what that means. Yeah, see, I guess it just wasn't and grabbing me until I, I read can see Batman if you, 7. If you weren't reading them side by side, or if you were reading them months apart, you wouldn't necessarily retain that information and, and get that bigger picture. But I had the benefit of reading it fully aware of the current Batman story. And so it just elevated it in my eyes. Like Matt said, the art is gorgeous. Eddie yeah. Barrows has... Improved so much in the years since he uh, started working for DC, and he was good to begin with. Yeah, I've always really liked his stuff. And Kyle Higgins, it's it's no accident that this is tying so closely with Scott Snyder's Batman. Kyle Higgins was his co-writer on Batman Gates of Gotham, which kind of started this whole historical Gotham subplot True. Uh, last year. Yeah, this so. has been running for quite some time. It's It's... It was a real pleasure to read, and I am on board for for the rest of the series, at least as long as Higgins is on it, and as long as it's tying in. Well, starting next month, we're getting the Night of the Owls storyline in the Batman books, so I'm I am fully on board. I I'm not going to read all of the Batman books because I refuse to read Batman: The Dark Knight and Detective Comics. Yeah, you don't need to because they're terrible. But I definitely want to see what's going on in Nightwing's corner of the Bat Universe while this storyline's going on. Fair enough. We're always catching up on stuff here, and you'll be sure to hear another catching up on the pile segment until such time as we can come up with a better title. If you've got one, got off. Let us know. <laughs> it's not great. It doesn't really roll off. Maybe the baby Jesus will miracle us one. <laughs> Maybe you have noticed we've been switching up the final segment on the first show of the month. If there's one that you particularly like or don't like, let us know over at our Facebook page. We're always trying new stuff on the show, and we love your guys' input. R.I.P. Your TV. Not necessarily. They don't say love it. We'll bring it back it's just a lot of work before we get to some closing words joe patrick read me one more tweet our last tweet of the night comes from which question is better i'm gonna judge them silently before i read it silent judge <laughs> our last question comes from i think Tony. that was a valiant crossover <laughs> Our last question comes from Tony Doug Wright, who wants to know what movie we think will be the worst, Battleship or G.I. Joe Retaliation? Look, there are some early reviews for Battleship, and they are not bad. G.I. Joe Retaliation is going to be terrible. No, you heard listen, it here first. Gonna be I terrible. will go on record as saying I am excited to watch G.I. Joe Retaliation. Uh-huh. He, he, he's, guess what else he's excited about? Every movie that comes out, folks. Joe that is Patrick, not true. Never met a movie you didn't love. The Rock's got personality. Oh, God. It's got Do ninjas fighting Real on quick. a mountain. Real quick, name me the last good rock movie. Go ahead. I'll wait. The Tooth Fairy. 
Oh yeah, no, that one was great. Sort of break it, break it down like this. The Rundown, not a good movie. I love that movie. Shut Are up. you kidding me? Christopher Walken and Sean Stifler, whatever. Oh god. Terrible. It wasn't terrible. Whatever. That is it for the landmark 60th two-headed nerd comic cast. If you'd like to join us every week as we put on our... Hey. Here's the thing. I was going to catch up on Northlanders. But I'm not quite caught up on Northlanders. Had I caught up on Northlanders, then this next comment would make more sense. <laughs> If you'd like to join us every week as we put on our horned helmets and go Viking on some defenseless comics, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a star rating or even a short written review. They seriously help, guys. They do. Huge thanks to Matt, this week's donor. And if you guys, not Matt Bomb, not, he not me, care I less I about the being of our show. To this show. Are you kidding me? If you guys want to, again, uh, Northlanders. <laughs> yeah. The no- if you North guys North want to keep us in claymores and warhammers, you can make your donation in any amount. By clicking our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can submit your questions or comic-related trivial challenges for our monthly Ask a Nerd segment and your entries for the THN Mascot Contest. I'm not going to harp on that. Good. And if that's not enough for you, head over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, whose side are you on? Team Cyclops, Team Cap, or neither? I don't give a crap about this crossover. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Brent Merriman and Dave Goldbitz, who are the de facto conscience of the two-headed nerd when it comes to censorship issues. Word to you dicks, and until next time, true believers, this is the two-headed nerd. Signing off. The Rock knows you have feelings for him. But how do you feel about Strudel? Would you like to try some of the rocks? Strudel? And now a public service announcement from Joe Patrick. Hey guys, as you may have seen on our Facebook page, our generous employers at Legend Comics are holding a fundraiser for the Nebraska chapter of the Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, starting now until Free Comic Book Day on Saturday, May 5th. We are selling door prize tickets for $5 each with the grand prize being a genuine copy of Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man valued at $5,000. There are also several local prizes for you local listeners. But you uh, international listeners or out-of-state listeners... International Playboy listeners... ...should feel free to donate because anyone is eligible to win. If you go to legendcomicsomaha.com, you can see all of the details and click our donate button there and give to this great cause. Every $5 increment you give gets you one entry into the drawing. So give till it hurts, people! Oh.